um, and thank you for uh, for accepting our invitation. Thanks, Mazen. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, well, I'll I'll be short because I know we want to go through the questions. So, as you said, my name is Sarah Akavan. Um, I moved to Montreal in twenty late twenty fourteen to start Iris Tech. Um, and uh, my background is in image processing and computer uh, engineering. I did a bachelor's in computer engineering software, a master's in artificial intelligence, and PhD in image processing and computer vision. Um, I did my studies. I'm, I'm originally Iranian, Persian. Uh, I moved to Vienna. I did my PhD in Vienna. And then uh, accidentally, I think you're going to get into that, uh, I ended up in Montreal in the summertime. So it looked very good. And I'm like, I'm moving to this city. Oh. Um, yeah, so, so exactly. Um, so I moved here in uh, mid 2014 to start Iris Tech. Uh, and it has been an amazing journey. I think we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. Um, so uh, that's, if you can tell us a bit of what attracted you to Montreal, um, I mean, other than the beautiful quote-unquote summer um, we have? So um, I was a second-year PhD student, and I was um, pitching an idea I had in a conference in Greece. Um, one person in the audience happened to be uh, the first investor who wrote the check from Tandem Launch. So Helge Zitzender, which is the general partner and um, CEO of Tandem Launch, was there. This is this is September 2013. Um, we get to talk because he, he also had a PhD in the similar um, domain and he sold the company before that to Dolby. I think at that time Tandem Launch was new. Now, now a lot of people know Tandem Launch in town. My lighting is not so good, so I'm going to move a bit so um, yeah I, he, I got in touch with him we, we started chatting uh, about the fact that um, my idea can can uh, maybe become a startup and he would support that idea so he got me on a work permit to come for a few months to Montreal from Vienna to start to see if, if this idea has legs um, and then that, that's a different story that that idea has like we've pivoted from that and we've changed the idea so many times until what is today Iris Tech, but but the vision at least was was more or less the same. Um, that's how I ended up here. Right. Well, um, I guess you made the right choice. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Um, so, what are the um, what are the biggest challenges you faced in in, in growing a company? Um, at the beginning, you can start maybe at the early stages and then and then move to what it is now. Sure. Um, so, so many different challenges, like from, I was an immigrant, from, from emigration, from uh, starting the company, from uh, Tandem Launch massively helped, by the way. So, so Tandem Launch provides this infrastructure that made it easier um, to be on a work permit, to, to get access to industry experts, to get feedback on the idea. Um, they helped with IP acquisition, with, with understanding of what is IP and what are the bits and pieces actually as a startup you need to put in place. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of it, the, the check, the first 500K. So I would say that helped a lot. That is like the first year that I was in Tandem Launch um, with my co-founder. That's, that's a year that 
we put the foundation in place. Biggest challenges each year, you would have different challenges. And each time you think, if I pass this milestone, it's going to be easier. It's just, just the next milestone, just the one after that. So first, of course, is fundraising for all the entrepreneurs, right? Working on your pitch, the elevator pitch, making your, your story sharp, um, making the vision um, understandable and believable and, and get like-minded people, whether they are investors or co-founders or, or team members around you, surround yourself. Um, I said that, I would say that's, that's a big challenge to just find like-minded people who are sharing the vision with you. Um, and picking the right investors, picking the right team members, um, that stays the challenge up today. So, so no matter what, what stage you are, um, you need to get the best, uh, if you can, and surround yourself with the best team, with the best investors, with the best um, patents and everything. So I would say that's, that's an ongoing challenge for sure. Um, the biggest challenge um, in the first few years was enough, enough cash. Uh, what is enough? And how much equity you want to give up for that that amount of cash? I think all the entrepreneurs at some point are are dealing with this optimization um, optimization problem. Uh, that's maybe at the beginning. Then, then when when you have enough cash, the problems becomes the problem becomes how to build a real product that the market wants. So the next stage is the actual working product, which is not probably what you have in mind at the beginning. It will be like many iterations until you get to the product building. Uh, and the product that the market needs and fits the product. And then I would say comes all the growth state challenges, like with the skill sets that you need in your team when you're a team of five and the skill sets you need when you're a team of 30, 40, 50, they're, they're different skill sets. Um, so I, I would say these are like maybe the biggest challenges over time. Definitely, yeah, with the bigger with a bigger team, I guess, um, you have to have to adopt different people's strategies um i do i'd like to go back a bit and uh if you can tell us about uh more about iris tech what you do how and you, t you talked about an evolution of of the product and the idea so if you can tell us about uh what the original idea started and how it evolved to what it is today and just describe like your core your core uh basically product so um, we have a product today, which is a software-only product that makes display smarter. So all of us as consumers of display products, we spend more than eight hours on average in front of screens, whether it's, it's from the smartwatch, this is not a smartwatch though, but like, I have the habit of pointing at this. From the smartwatch, laptop, tablet, TV, uh, yeah, that one. Um, so it's more than eight hours. And there are, there are so many ways we can look into the user experience that we get dealing with, this, with these devices. We know they are not as healthy as they should be. We know there are side effects. We know, um, we know they are hurting our eyes. They are screwing our, our uh, night vision uh, and, and sleep cycle. Uh, that's one aspect. So it's all the wellness category. And then the other challenge is the whole visibility. Like we use our devices in a sunny environment and we don't see the screen anymore, no matter how cutting edge that, that screen is. So then, then comes the visibility or safety in automotive that, that um, we are in. Uh, that's the industry we are focused on. So what we do is to make sure that we understand how our eyes really work 
in all those conditions, how our eyes age, how we need to personalize the content to the viewers so that we, we assure that in all the conditions uh, for every viewer, they get the best user experience. Um, and um, we hopefully will make it safer and healthier for the, for the viewer to, to have a lot of screen time. So the product is a software. We integrate it into the operating system of the device, and then the screen is going to be more visible and healthier for the viewer. And the, the market that we've, we, we are right now in, and, and we got acquired a few months ago, is automotive. So our focus since three years ago has been massively on, on uh, automotive industry with, with the big dashboards and, and multiple screens in the, in the car. Okay, so did you start off aiming for a different uh, industry and then and then evolve towards automotive? Yes. Okay. Um, yes, painfully so. Um, so that's one of the pivots I would say we made on the on the business side and on the business model. So we we did aim for consumer electronics first, um, and um, consumer electronics is very much dominated in China. Um, especially the, the handsets. And for us to, to be able to blend into that market, to be able to work in that market and sell software in that market, that was, that was a tough choice for, for a small startup with limited people remotely in a, in a very, very far away market. So um, after a while, we realized that's not the, the best option. Um, and also in, in uh, consumer electronics, there are a lot of different... Um, unfair comparison that happens. On a mobile phone, for one year, you will have a new feature. It can be a visual feature or a camera feature or a sound feature. So for us, sometimes we were compared with a sound feature to be able to, to get into market. Um, in the meantime, automotive was, um, was very interesting because visibility in automotive is a safety matter. So it's, it, it was a different value proposition. It was a stronger value proposition position for our product. Um, so we, we pivoted, I would say, I think three years ago. So a year a year in, uh, when we were building the product, we, we pivoted from, from consumer uh, electronics to, to automotive. That's really, I mean, it really shows how you set, up, set out to do one thing and then you end up doing, in this case, something similar, but... Uh, well, the products more or less stayed the same, but the ecosystem finished, the player, the, the change, the, the players changed. So um, I'm, I think all the, all the entrepreneurs know about stories of pivoting. It's just, again, what is the right time and how to pivot? Those two are very key questions, right? Because you, you get sometimes pressure to pivot your technology or pivot, pivot your market or pivot your business model. Um, and, and it's a very tough call to know when to do it and then switch to, to a different one, which will be more effective for you. Okay. Um, so during your fundraising, uh, we know you've raised about 8 million in seed and series A. Right. Um, do you have above 8 million. Sorry. A bit above 8 million, I think okay. three or four. Okay. Um, do you have any, um, any stories to, to tell about that? Any obstacles, any particular, um, event that really struck you as, uh, as important or a, a milestone during that process? Every step is a milestone, right? Like when you're at seed round, you think like it's, uh, it's, if, if I just pass this one, then I'm going to build a product. The products are rule of thumb product is, are going to take twice more time as you estimate them and, and you 
so it's, it's, it's just they take more because you need to the back and forth with customers. So I would say you're always cash sensitive as a startup, no matter how much you raise. Um, and that's one of the, one of the challenges, any story in fundraising, a lot of things, um, which when can I share publicly? Mm-hmm. Um, fundraising, I would say, because we are also focusing on maybe women entrepreneurs. Um, I think there is, it has never been as good of a time for women entrepreneurs. We are still don't, we don't have enough women entrepreneurs still. It's, I think the, um, we are still around 20% women entrepreneurs. Um, but, but there is, there are a lot of fundings and there is particularly in Canada, there's a lot of women in tech. Um, funding. So I would say that's a very good part. And uh, when I started, it was not like that. So I obviously each round that we did fundraising, I could feel that there are so many more options, particularly for women founders um, to tap in. That's a very good point. Um, it's not where it should be still, but, but it's of course so much better than five years ago, so much better than two years ago. So I would say that's something that I noticed during the fundraising. And then Another thing is um, what important thing that every first time entrepreneur might learn the hard way is um, when you're pitching to an investor, um, usually the first time entrepreneurs are pitching because from a, from a, not desperation, but from a point of view that I just want to get this one, right? You're, you're looking for that. Yes. Which is amazing. It's like you're going to the interview to get the job, but but also you should interview your party, right? The other party. So you should, you should be also interviewing your partners. These are your future partners, your future board members. Uh, it's not just the cash. It comes with the whole package. So you want to optimize it. You want to get to know them. You want to make sure that they share the vision. I would say this is not a story, but this is my, um, my lessons learned that it's very important. You also pick your, your, um, um, your investors. For example, Tandem Launch was not just money at that time time launch was smart money for me because because the person who was running the fund knew about display industry has sold in a display industry knew about image processing so i would get a lot more than just the money from from that partnership it was a strategic uh yeah exactly yeah. strategic choice okay great um you touched on um you touched on women in tech and women in, in entrepreneurships so uh, this is a question I had reserved for a bit later, but we'll get to it now since we already touched on that. Um, so you're both uh, in the engineering and in the autom- uh, automotive world. Uh, both these uh, spheres are very highly male dominated. We can, I mean, I don't know, you tell me. I, having gone to engineering school, I can, I can tell you yes. You had two that. women in, in the... <laughs> All uh, school, yeah. That's yeah. At my graduation, we had uh, we had two uh, two girls too. So, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. my friends couldn't believe it. So, <laughs> um, so can you share um, your experiences in that in that field? Whether it's uh, you know how it helped you or how it how it was an obstacle for you. So um, you know, I also volunteer and, and I run some women in tech uh, events. So th- this question always comes up. Um, and, and it's interesting because no matter what industry they are in, you can always say it's male dominated mostly, most of industries. It's just one or two that you can say they are not male dominated, but automotive massively, I would say, um, especially German automotive market that 
that we started working with. Um, so first of all, you get used to it. If you go to engineering school, you, you're used to being only one or two among like the 20 or 30 or 50. Um, and I love to say it really doesn't matter. It's not a gender thing. It's not a color of the skin thing. It's, I would love to say that. And I, I think it, sometimes it really doesn't matter. Sometimes it matters just because, because you're a minority. And the mi when you're in a minority, um, the majority by definition does not understand the whole mindset or they do not encounter the mindset of minorities. They haven't thought about it. Uh, it's not something mean. It's not, it doesn't mean we need to fight with it. It's just the way it is and we need to accept it. Um, being an immigrant and being a woman, being always the younger person in the board, I, I think that that has been my life. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it works in my advantage. So, for example, in automotive, um, you go to these big companies, these big OEMs, they are getting, receiving come kind of pitches from, let's say, 10 startups in a month with different technologies. You stand up. You're the one which is memorable. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that, that girl? Yeah, yeah, that one. That one, yeah, yeah, I remember that technology. So that was about this and that. So sometimes it works in your benefit because... Uh, you stand out and you're, you're unique and you don't, they don't expect to see a lot of women or younger um, people in, in the room. Um, so it's both ends. And, and, and the fact sometimes it's not good because, um, because you're in an environment that they don't, and it's like, let's say like a, like a boys club and they don't really think that, yeah, I shouldn't use those words in your life. Oh, no, no, no. And good? Okay. <laughs> so, and then they don't expect women and they are not so much used to having women around. It's the opposite way it works too, right? Like when girls are around and there's no boy in the room, they might have a different terminology and talk differently compared to when they have a guy in the room. So those are the times that it's just a bit more sensitivity. And I think slowly building the culture and raising your hand and say, oh yeah, I'm here. Uh, let's switch the discussion. Um, it's manageable, but it's, I don't think it's anything that that stop. It's like a showstopper or big roadblock uh, for women entrepreneurs. I think a, a bit of this having a lot of women in tech uh, events um, is good because we're encouraging um, women. Um, but on the other side, I think we are we're also freaking out some people that it's like like what is out there that I don't know or what's going to happen to me. Um, I have experienced like weird moments or strange comments. Um, but you move on. It's like, it's not thing that, that is a roadblock, I would say, for the okay. business. I suppose, uh, being in Montreal also, uh, also might, might help in that, uh, definitely. Definitely. in that area. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so speaking about Montreal, um, has it, what, 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 are, what do you think are the benefits of being part of of the Montreal ecosystem, uh, what has it uh, brought you in terms of uh, like added value to your company or to the, maybe to the talent you were looking for? Montreal is just a lovely city. Winters are tough, but it's a lovely city with lovely people. You don't mention them. I know, I know. We, do, we just forget about them. Um, but the people are amazing. I've lived in three different countries, worked in three different countries um, and continents. 
but Montreal is unique because of the diversity in every aspect. Um, and that I think has brought a unique character and energy to the city that, um, that is very unique. Um, and it makes it so much easier. Like the whole point of diversity, when we are talking about men and women, when we are talking about black and white or brown or different colors, the whole, what is the point of diversity? The point of diversity is you build better products when you look at it from every aspect and different point of views, right? So Montreal has built this, this ecosystem that is very successful integrating different point of views. Um, of course, when I started here and when I moved here, the, the AI has not yet boomed here. The, the whole deep learning was very new at that time. Uh, but now being the hop of AI, having a lot of big players investing in the city, uh, it makes the market very um, interesting and dynamic. And that's good for every startup. There's, you, you tap in the ecosystem, you, you can always find people to learn from no matter what topic, like pick a topic, fundraising, like hiring, hardware, software, whatever you, you pick, uh, there are people that you can learn from and they're very generous. Um, the ecosystem that Montreal has is very generous with their time. Um, I've seen maybe in Silicon Valley, some friends that are in different cities, but it's a lot of the events are paid. A lot of webinars are, are not um, free or easy to attend. Uh, if you wanna talk to someone who has had a successful career, you need to pay for some. So Montreal has this multi-layered um, friendliness and kindness, I would say, which is integrated. That's it. true. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely that it shows in the uh, in the startup ecosystem as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, would you say that um, AI talent in Montreal is hard to find? I've 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 had mixed um, feedback about that. Some people say the, the, the talent pool is good enough. Some people say it's um, it's being, like everybody's basically fishing from the same uh, pond and, and there's not enough people anymore. What would you say about the AI talent? Well, we haven't hired a lot of AI people to okay. be able to really judge, but we are close to the to the ecosystem and we are, we are planning for growing in AI. Um, and, but we have been partnering with, with universities in AI for, okay. no, no, for five years. Um, I don't really know. Um, I think we, we probably have enough talent and there's a lot of, there are always bubbles, right? There are always some companies who, who are hiring, but then they disappear after a while. Um, and then the, that talent is available to the market again. So I wouldn't say, I, I'm not really sure because we haven't yet hired a lot of people in AI. Okay. But I, I think we, we, we have a very good enough pool. And it's not, the pool is not just the engineering we hire, engineers we hire. It's also the ecosystem, as you said. It's the, the whole um, universities and the partnerships you can put in place in, uh, in AI. They're super open to, um, to partnerships with industry. And then having the, one of the best government fundings, like, like the MyTax, the NSERC, all those applications that you can really work with and partner with universities, I would say, um, I would say it's, it, it should be uh, good enough for, for what we are doing in Montreal, unless all the U.S. companies come and build uh, build uh, kind of uh, branches here and then Offices here and start, yeah. to fish for, for our talent, uh, which is also a good thing. But um, but then on the other hand. Um, being immigrant friendly, a lot of people are applying to come on work visa and student visa to, to be in Montreal. So I would say it's always 
kind of a balance. Okay. From my point of view. So that's that's pretty good feedback. Um, so you started uh, Iris Tech uh, about five years ago, um, grown it, and then now you've sold to uh, to a multinational. Right. Um, can you describe uh, kind of how it happened? Um, is it everything you dreamed it would be? Is it? It was all planned. Every step of it. No. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and yeah, you can start with that, and then I'll I'll follow up. I think some of my team members might be watching, and I'm sure they are laughing. Um, so, um, selling a company like, of, of course, it's a it's a hard thing to do, and sometimes it's the goal, and sometimes it's not. Right, depending on where you are in your startup, what is your start strategy, and this is a collective. Um, shareholder, investor, founder, team, and everybody's decision and vision. Uh, that's why it's important to have people on board which, which are sharing the same vision as the founders or, or founders need to partner with the right same-minded um, people. So for us, um, it was a goal. So we, we, we really planned it. It was not an accidental um, exit. Uh, we planned for it. Um, but what happened throughout the, the, when we were going through, through selling the company, a lot has happened that is out of our control, which is the startup life. Um, my biggest lessons, lesson learned there is um, I was watching a TED Talk maybe like a few years ago, which um, it was a lady sharing what is the biggest um, factor in success. Is it IQ? Is it EQ? Is it is it perseverance? And they 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 studied this. It was a psychological one, and um, she was using the word grit. So I I lived it, and my team lived it. So I think um, this was one of the stage that we sold the company. This is this was one of the stages that uh, it was a lot of ups and downs. We sold the company during COVID, right? It was early. Okay. Like, like it happened in, in April and we were already two or three weeks in COVID. Um, a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty um, as every stage, a lot of uh, moments that you think you need to lose hope. Everybody is losing hope. Those down moments and just sticking together. Um, if you have the right technology, if you believe in the technology um, and the business model, to some extent, I would say don't give up and it's going to pay off. So this, this was probably the biggest, biggest lesson learned uh, for that or, or what I learned during the selling the company. It was planned. It was fun. Um, very, I, I think we went through unique ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs in, in within like course of six months. Uh, looking into fundraising, extending, we were not sure if COVID is going gonna, is gonna to destroy the deal or not. Um, um, having team members, which which were somewhere like thinking that it's not going to go anywhere, like somewhere really uh, thinking that this should go somewhere, including myself, but we could not be sure. The same in the board and investors. So it's um, it was a very unique experience, uh, and I'm happy that it worked out for everybody. But but it's startup; it could have easily not worked. Well, uh, it did, and congratulations. Thank you. Um, there's a big um, difference in company culture yeah. 
in a startup, a small startup uh, versus uh, a corporate entity versus a multinational. Um, how, how do you see company culture? How do you see the difference? How has the acquisition um, affected your Iris Tech uh, culture within the Forasia Iris Tech? Very good question. And maybe it's too early to answer that, but so far, um, I would say we, are, we were very lucky. Uh, and this is one of those things that when, when you're picking your partners, the buyer is, is, a, is a very important partner. They are, the, the buyer, when you're selling your company, is the one that you're betting the growth of the company on, right? You're, you're betting on them that they are gonna take us to the next level. And they are betting on us, so they are, they are buying you with the high hopes of growth, right? So it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic, and we were very lucky so far. I'm, I cannot stress how happy uh, and excited um, I am about, about the uh, acquisition and working with Forestia, because first of all, I've heard that this was the fastest m they've ever done. Uh, oh, okay. It was during COVID. Um, and we we have had great support in every aspect. They it's they, they are keeping us as a startup, more or less, um, with providing us a lot of infrastructure and help that the big company has. Um, so far, it has not slowed us down at all. So we are we are continuing um, delivering to our customers. We are continuing building, and uh, and the roadmaps are just just. Uh, nicely married into their roadmap, um, which is great so, so far. Um, but I know that like a lot of, one of the reasons maybe is because it's, uh, um, I heard that they had a lot of lessons learned also in, uh, in acquisitions and uh, they wanted it. So they planned it to be an acquisition that they would want to keep the dynamicness of the startup. So, so far it has not affected us that the whole big company culture yes um but um but it's not something that i'm um afraid of per se because i think um as much as we want to be fast we also want to be betting on the right growth plan um and that's where where our company is we are just at the growth stage so we had one one solid customer and then turning that one into 20 um, needed either a massive fundraising and, and growth in the company in terms of leadership skills and everything, or or to partner up with a uh, with a big company to, to help us with that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So let ask me again this question in a year or so. Let's okay, see we'll get. To, I'll, I'll mark it as as to, to be repeated. Yeah, but it's to be, to be checked. <laughs> okay, check. Um, but it's good that I mean they opted to keep your. Uh, to keep your identity, your company identity, kind of yeah. intact, and the culture so yeah. far as, as we know. So that's uh, that's yeah, pretty as good. As far as I know, it was planned, and they they really wanted to set it up uh, like this. Perfect. Um, so I mean, so far you've given us the more or less the bright side, um, the happy story of moving through the stages. Glory. Yeah, the glory of being an entrepreneur and starting your own company. Uh, getting acquired. Um, I want to know the the hidden stories behind closed doors, behind the scenes. Did you did you have any down moments? Um, not rough days, not at all. 
all perfectly planned going okay, by the Okay, next question. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know the answer because we've talked about this before. It's, uh, I don't know if all startups are this, uh, they have this many crazy moments or it was just us. Um, this was my first serious entrepreneurship experience. So I will be able to judge maybe next time a bit better, but of course, so it, it my experience and my team's experience is full of, um, weird and crazy ups and downs and things that you could never imagine you only maybe seen in movies that they happen um but it happens in real life so a lot a lot of ups and downs a lot of moments that you you doubt if you made the right decision uh and i'm sure i, I shared this with with a lot of partners or, or people who were part of our journey a lot of moments that you're thinking um this is the moment to to just move on is it not should i should i push another like another milestone um especially during covid um i know a lot of startups are having a hard time big companies are having a hard time automotive is, is uh, being hit um i think i wish i could share all the detailed stories and this this webinar would have been like for 24 hours to go through all the nasty uh <laughs> detail but but in a nutshell um the biggest lesson learned and the hardest thing I, um, I learned is, is that people are the most important asset of the startup and, and you need to pick them very wisely and you need to surround yourself with, with good people, good experts in the field, but also good people because you're going to war with them. I, I went to multiple wars with my team, with our board members, investors, everybody. It's like the whole ecosystem. It's not just, just the, the co-founder and, and, and the technical team. It's, it's everybody, which is part of it. Um, and you really want to pick them wisely. Um, don't only look for particular expertise, let's say in our case, image processing. You, you, you should look for the personality as well, the personality match, because hard times come. Um, and the hard day comes and, and you need support to be able to go through it. Um, we, we, we definitely had a lot of times that we doubted if you're doing the right thing, if, if the market is going to happen or not. Uh, let's start from the beginning. We talked about consumer electronics. Should we pivot or should we push more? Is it normal that we haven't had revenue for a year? Should we wait for another six months? Should we spend more money or should we just stop and back off and, and pick another market? Um, those moments are, are very critical moments and probably there is no wrong, wrong, wrong answer. It's just not wasting time and do something. When you, when you, when you identify a problem, just do something about it and, uh, and move on. Um, but yeah, the biggest lessons learned, you need support in all of those decisions. You need, you need good people and smart people um, around you. And I was lucky that I had an amazing team um, and I had a great family support. Uh, without my husband, which is actually walking the baby around somewhere uh, right now for me to do this. Um, oh, we'd like yeah. to thank him as well. Yeah, yeah. If it, like we have a very loud uh, baby, fourteen months old, so she would she would be probably running oh. here. <laughs> All right. So pick your army uh, wisely. Definitely. That's, I mean, that's you're that's going to war. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, I want to jump to a slightly different uh, topic, which is. Um, uh, nowadays, there's a big focus on 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 images and cameras, um, 
it's mostly driven by uh, the, mo- the mobile phone industry and social media. I know you've uh, um, you've done your I think your 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 thesis on on that uh, on that subject. Right. Um, so do you think do you think improvement in that uh, field uh, might bring value added value to, to to the world in general and um, sure. Well, I have to believe that that's our field is going to bring something good to the world. Uh, I think image processing camera displays, um, sensors in general, sensor fusion, these, these are the future of high tech. Um, it is going to happen. The question is, how is it going to change our life? Like every, take the snapshot of every five years and look at how our lives has changed having access to more technology, to more cameras, to more displays, being surrounded with more displays. Um, so I think one, one parallel topic that is going to become more and more important is the whole wellness topic. Um, spending, at least in, in my area and I'm in my field, spending so much time in front of displays, what will happen for children? What are the side effects? Is it going to hurt their brain or, or vision or how to get around it? So I think, or, or even with AI, we're now there are a lot of interesting discussions on what will happen when AI is, is more advanced than, than what it is today, the, the ethics, the, the wellness, all those topics that I think are byproducts of, of the advancement in the technology will become more and more interesting. Uh, and I think we need more and more people to investigate those areas. So uh, the cross, I mean, Iris Tech, the name suggests um, it's the cross between the bio, yep. uh, the biology and the technology. So what you're saying is- that that's, That was always our vision. And we think that's futuristic. Uh, vision to to have technologies advance but also make sure that the wellness um is is taken into account because um yeah we can make the displays better and and change them make them curved and make them holographic or whatever but then it means we are going to spend more time in front of them um then Children will have obese issues. They will have uh, ADHD issues. Um, adults are going to have um, vision problems. So our vision has been, and it, is, it still is, to, to keep an eye on the, on the wellness and human, human part of it um, as well, human side of it as well. Um, at this point, I just want to invite everybody to uh, send in their, their questions. Uh, just please use the uh, Q&A. Um, option in in the Zoom, so we can we can look at them in uh, in a bit, and uh, we'll take the questions um, in in a couple of minutes. Um, I wanted to ask you a question that's personal to not personal, but like this is my own question. Off, uh, didn't prepare for it. I think Cedric is going to appreciate it too. Um, so you you uh, you you've done. You pivoted your startup from from a from a PhD idea, right? Like from a from a thesis well, sort yeah. of. I did my, my PhD in a similar um, topic, um, but it was not that like that. I told you it it went through a lot of yeah. iterations to become what I what is Iris Tech today. Do you have any um, advice for people that are uh, thinking of pursuing a, a PhD or um, at the same time? Uh, like starting a starting a startup so what would you do um 
would you pursue one or the other pursue both one of the hardest things i've done in my life um beside having a toddler and work in covid situation at home that probably tops it or is it equal to the other one. One of the hardest things I've done was to, um, to start Iris Tech while I was doing my PhD. So I was not done with my PhD when I moved here and kind of did the second part, half of my PhD remotely um, from Montreal. My, my, my PhD um, university was in Vienna. So that was one of the hardest things I've done. Um, but it's doable if you like it and if they are close enough. So these two topics were close enough. And when I was working and doing research on Irish tech, I could, I could use that for, for my thesis and vice versa. Um, that made it doable, but it was, it was hard work for sure. Um, I definitely recommend it, not for everybody, but for people who are passionate and like to do it, right? For my sister was asking me a while ago, should I do a PhD or not? Knowing her, like, no, why do you need a PhD? You're already passionate about what you're doing. You should just get into the market, start your own business and do it. You start your own business, but you don't need a PhD for it. So it, it's very, um, I think it's the character and personality thing. Like PhD is, is long and hard and it's very deep dive. Um, if you like that and if you want to be an expert in a particular topic, for sure. Um, but it's a very different topic. Like that has nothing to do with, with entrepreneurship, doing them at the same time, like that, that can happen, but, um, but they're two different, um, decisions, I would say. And entrepreneurship is just, uh, a passion and greed and greed and perseverance. Um, and then being in the mode of, um, always being flexible enough as an entrepreneur, you need to be flexible enough to, um, to change your mind, to, to course correct when you're going somewhere. And that is something that when you go to PhD, it's not a same skill set you practice. When you're doing a lot of um, deep dive, you become more rough edges, which is not the same skill set you need as an entrepreneur. So okay. the balance of it is. You need to find the, strike the balance. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Um, I'll take, uh, start taking questions um, from the crowd. First one, typical one. Um, you've touched on it a bit. It's the, the uh, typical um, the customary COVID question. So I, you, I guess your story is a bit different. You sold your company during COVID. Uh, but would you have any, uh, well, has it affected your, has it affected your team in any way, like moving completely to remote work? Um, and what, what is your advice for people to weather, uh, this storm or, or any upcoming storm? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it has affected everybody, right? There's no way that we can say it's not affected the, the culture that we have been working, like, especially in, in, in startups, it's very it's very common and usual. You don't have the big infrastructure to document everything. You just go to people and talk to them. And that's a very big, now you need to set up a lot of meetings and, and plan for it. Um, of course it affects businesses. I, I would say it, it slows down the communications massively. Um, but it is what it is. And hopefully we are, we are getting through it. I know it's, um, fundraising has been difficult for some companies. Exit plans has, has fallen apart. Um, 
But I would say if, if you have the right team, again, goes back to surround yourself with the right people and then you're flexible enough, then you can deal with, with unexpected stuff that happens. So it was harder, but we, we are pushing through it. It's not ideal, but we, we keep connected and we are pushing through it. Sorry that I don't have a better answer. I, I wish I had a magical pill for the situation and then we would use it ourselves in Iris Tech first, but no vaccination. We'll see, we'll no see. Pill. Um, next question is uh, from Ug. Um, question, Flara, when, when the time came to negotiate with the automotive manufacturer, how did you set a price for your tech or company? Oh, that is... Uh, we negotiated with one of the contracts. I cannot mention which one, but one of the contracts, which was an imported contract, we we delivered the technology within six months. We negotiated the contracts for nine months. Uh, so it was a lot of back and forth and you don't have much leverage. It's very normal with, um, I know it now, but it's very more normal for with the first customer, with the lead customer that you have less leverage um, and you probably need to give in on, on some terms. It's just the, you need to make the choice, which terms are the ones that you want to stick to and which ones are the ones that you want to give in. Um, but definitely the first negotiation is one of the hardest ones. Um, and, and we, you gave in, you, you give some benefits to your first lead customer always. Okay. It's, it's the same in automotive. Okay. Um, have a question from uh, Ash. So he's a founder relocating uh, a pre-launch business from Sydney to Montreal. Uh, he'd love to know your opinion about working with startup studios like Tandem Launch. Would you think it's a good idea to partner with uh, such startup studios or go with a VC? Um, and then there's another question we'll get to. Um, for sure. I, I think I touched on that, that it's, uh, it really depends on what you're doing, right? So for me, it was, it was smart money. It was a money, it was money, but it was also the know-how uh, of the domain I wanted to start a startup on. Um, it's, it's, it's picking your partner, whether it's Tandem Launch or, or other VCs you mentioned or other incubators or um, it's, it's really the matter of finding the fit. And you shouldn't shy away from giving yourself enough time to do your due diligence. So if, if you feel this is not the right fit, that this particular VC is not the right fit because they have their portfolio doesn't match what you really do, don't worry about moving to the next one. Don't get into the desperation mode of, I, I just need to raise, right? So that, that's the, I would say, my biggest advice for that stage. You, you, you need to choose your partners wisely and make sure that they, they share the vision with you. And um, the, the rest of the question is, uh, what percentage of shares do ve uh, venture studios take in exchange for their financial knowledge source? So do they, do, they take, do they cut into your idea a lot or do you think it's fair? It really depends. It okay. really depends. Um, I've seen even within, within the same VC or same, same incubator, I've seen very different approaches. Uh, I think it depends how much how much help you get and when you're raising, um, how advanced or early stage you are, uh, where you are in the product building, where you are in the market validation. All of these are the ones that, that you need to check mark to, to raise. So it's, it, there is no one best answer. If there was a one optimized equation, everybody would follow. So that's that's one of the one of the nasty but also interesting things about building a startup. There is no 
VC optimized equation that you would just go and say, I will do this. It's, it's really a lot of things you need to take into account and make the best decision. Um, based case on. by case, every single time. Um, another uh, question about your PhD, uh, PhD years. So, um, have you inherited any skills or traits, uh, from your PhD years that negatively affected your startup management? So you kind of touched on that. Um, so example, most, uh, but not all engineers are bad at politics. So this <laughs> is coming from Emil. Um, so I, I think you touched on that. You can get more specific if you want. Um, First-time founders are not supposed to be politicians, right? Even second-time, like founders are not supposed to be politicians. And again, depending on what ecosystem, what, what board setup, what investor match you will have, you might need to learn. Um, again, I don't know if the word is politics or the word is like getting a bit beyond only looking at the technology and the product. Um, some of the things that I've learned is, is sometimes um, if I go back in time, I might probably change something that I did um, at that time because, because in particular times, I probably was very much focused only on the product or only on the technology. And I, and I lost the bigger picture of um, this person is looking at it from, from um, return on investment. This other person is looking at it from the business model, this other person. So you need to be able to, to really look and have the perspective, a higher level perspective. And if you don't have that, you need to equip yourself with someone with that talent within your team that can easily go from a detailed layer to a, an abstract level, looking into the, the whole equation and the whole um, setup. Of the so get, get your head out of the technical stuff and start yeah. looking at a bigger and, and the bigger picture. Yeah. Okay. Um, one last question from the crowd, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, so you mentioned building a startup has ups and downs. How do you keep the team motivated? So we talked about having the right team, uh, but how do you keep the right team motivated? That's uh, yeah. I don't know. We should ask our team if I even managed to keep them motivated. Um. It is a hard one. The whole, um, I would say, the hardest thing in, HR, uh, in, in startups is HR. The human relationships and keep, keep all the bits and pieces of people's psychology together, including the founder themselves, um, is very hard. Um, how to do it? I don't know. I, I think in our case, it was a lot of transparency. We went through very, very hard times, but we were very transparent with our team and we gave them options and and choice to first brainstorm and tell us what you think but also um, ask a lot of questions and then eventually you are not forced to go through it maybe founders kind of choose to go through the ups and downs and you want everybody to go with you but that's not the reality not everybody is in it the same way and risks the same way um, the founders do or the vc do or the investor does so um I would say transparency and then having the right, right characters when you're building your team. And don't shy away from, from parting ways from people that you find maybe afterwards that they are not the right cultural fit for okay. those Keeping the culture is very important. So uh, who was it? It was um, someone recently, I, I heard that they were saying hire fast and fire faster. Um, it's not a nice thing to say, but um, but you, you need to keep that consistency. You need to keep that dynamic and culture of the startup. So it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing effort 
um, to keep it the way it is so that when you are at war, hopefully you have the right partners. The right yeah. It's very interesting. I like how you brought it back. Um, so one, we got an, another question is, um, what would be the best initial steps for growing tech-based ideas in Canada, considering different ways to, and considering different ways to attract the necessary cash flow? Uh, the, the right way of phrasing, is that the... Uh, best initial steps for growing a tech-based idea in Canada? For growing... Where would you start? I'm assuming growing, by growing you mean getting sufficient funding or raising. Or, uh, or yes, based on the rest of the question, yeah, I think that is it. Yeah, because they, they mentioned cash flow somewhere. Um, so one thing that maybe I didn't mention, because again, my answer is going to be it depends and blah, blah, blah. But uh, one thing I didn't mention is um, how much money you need. So um, for us, we were doing um, heavy high-tech research product we were building something which was which needed still research and development a lot of research and development so we needed a lot of money up front so we needed to raise 500k at the beginning to start with uh, a lot of ideas let's say let's say when when uber starts when um a lot of ideas i i, I don't have more examples on top of my mind but um a lot of apps that are successful out there those kind of businesses you do not need 500k so don't go and, and give up a lot of equity for and raise a lot of money that you don't need. So you need to always be um, stingy enough in the amount that you raise, um, but also optimize it in a way that it, it, it helps your needs. Um, so I would say that's my advice. If you, if you have an idea that for now you need 50K to mature it to the next step, just raise 50K. Don't go for something bigger. Uh, or if you just need to partner with, with um, university to do some R&D, because there are a lot of government funds available for that, just do that and don't go for something bigger before you, you're, if you're not sure you're going to need those uh, amount of funding. Baby steps. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us. Yeah. Um, and the experience was, I mean, really lovely chat. I really appreciated it. I have one last question for you. Uh, what's coming for uh, for Asia, Iris Tech in the next uh, few months, year, days? Uh, a lot of interesting stuff. So now we are at the, at the honeymoon stage that we are thinking about a lot of cool things to do and we have joined forces. So we are, we are stronger than, than ever. Um, so I'm going to use this platform and, and say we are hiring uh, for a position. We are hiring for an FPGA position, FPGA designer, um, senior FPGA designer. We, what we want to do is to, we, we have a software product. We want to build a hardware product as well. So we, we broaden our reach uh, in the market. Uh, and we have a lot of new innovative ideas and partnerships that we are uh, looking into putting in place. So partnering with, with very big companies that it was very hard for a startup to do before now is easy and it's interesting. So it's like, it, it's this, there are partners there. I can go and talk to this very big OEM and, and join forces and, and do something interesting. So that's the part that is going to help us, I think, with the innovation. And we do have a close relationship with universities as well. Uh, Cambridge, um, Oxford, name it, a lot of good universities that we have been partnering with them. Um, so marrying this to like the OEM world and the, and the academic world and trying to build something 
uh, cutting edge to solve the problems out there. Beautiful. So the uh, the possibilities are pretty much endless. Yes. Um, okay, I'll, I'm gonna wrap it up here. I know we've taken a lot of your time, and you have a baby to to, to, to take care of. So thank you so much. It was a real pre a pleasure. 